0: we are about to finish romans chapter 16. <clears throat> what an exciting morning huh most people when they get to romans 16 it's a it's a typical list of names that you come across in scripture and that's the way matthew starts his book when we see a list of names we often just kind of rush to the end and to be fair we're going to do a bit of that here we're going to hit some of the high points some of these names will have meaning to you some of these names might have a tremendous weight and a meaning to the community of faith but again when we see a list of names what do we do we just rush so let's take a look romans 16. the first verse won't let us rush i commend to you our sister phoebe a deacon of the church in and uh, a little pop quiz here. Uh, many of you that are watching every week are devoted Bible students. That's why uh, while we may have thousands each week with our worship, we generally get three to four hundred, five hundred on a good week here at the Wednesday. It's because you're, you're really putting some time into this. And that means a lot to me. It really does. And those of you that subscribe and share, that means a lot. So you're, you're smart, your church people and your Bible people how many people and i'll give it to you within two how many people does the bible expressly call a deacon ready one phoebe a woman and in fact the words used here are generally used in paul's time as not only a servant of the church, but as she brought the book to them, it would indicate that she was the one that read the book to them. Women have always had public positions in the early church. They were slowly over time quashed. And a couple of verses used to indicate that that's what God wanted at all times and all places. But if you look in the new Testament and you look at all as a totality, as a gestalt, you're looking at all of it. You see that women were in very important positions and they, they preached alongside with Philip. He had four daughters that preached with him there. Well, we, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves on another one yet, but just say that Phoebe was a very important person. She was not just a person that brought a book. She was a person that read it a position of some authority and of some standing in the early church. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in the way worthy of the people of his people and to give her any help she may need for you, uh, from you. I can't even talk this morning for he has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So Phoebe has been Paul's benefactor has been doing the work of God to the point where Paul says, if she needs any help, get it to her. And she's reading this book and she is the, the bringer. Now, again, we don't get all of the reading the book in English translations because translations are an approximation of what the original language says. It's not a word for word, never is. So again, important uh, people. But then this next verse, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Priscilla and Aquila are husband and wife. We're in the listing here, wife and husband. And that's an interesting thing. We first come upon them and Aquila's name is mentioned first, which in, in the first century, whose name was mentioned first and then second and then third was hugely important. It showed status. It indicated to everybody in the room, what the status was. So we find the husband and the wife, Aquila and Priscilla, (coughs) we find them teaching uh apollos we, we we find them teaching others and suddenly very quickly the order changes and from then on priscilla and aquila and priscilla then is the uh the main teacher of the two and it says here um they're my co-workers in christ jesus they risk their lives for me not only i but all the churches of the uh, the gentiles are grateful to them, greet also the church that meets at their house. Our safe harbor pumps out Jesus and pumps out um, the best we can on how to deal with our Bibles, what what they're trying to say to us and what Jesus might want in us. And it is literally being pumped out in, in just under two dozen countries so far in 49 states. What you do with it there is up to you. But a great many we really can't estimate how many because most never check in and tell us but as we move about the country we're finding people are forming house churches like priscilla and aquila and some of them will use just the music of our worship and some will use just this class or just my sermon or just the monday morning message i know of men's groups that are doing the monday morning messages and some use the whole thing and this is their church and they're on their own and we thank God that we're here for you. Um, you being on your own doesn't make you less of a church. But then others will gather other people in their homes and we can send a greeting to the church that meets at their house. I mean, it's just a really cool thing. Well, there are uh, a list of names that come back come after this, most of whom we don't really know much about. So what we can say is this they were important to Paul and important enough to, to list. And they're called my dear friends. Uh, they're called The fidelity has taken, uh, has stood the test. Um, those who are in the Lord, the, these women, Tryphena and Tryphosa, these women who work hard in the Lord, my dear friend, Persis, another woman who's worked very hard in the Lord. He really stresses the women that work hard in the Lord and who have been his co-laborers. And he mentions in verse seven, Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles. That phrase, and the name Junia has caused a lot of, um, tap dancing, changing, literally changing the text. There's a scholar named Eldon Epp, E-L-D-O-N, last name E-P-P. You can look for his his work, and it has a subtitle, but just look for Junia. And it comes in a big format. It's about eight and a half by 11, but it's not a super long book. Now, there are a lot of scholarly things in this because he is a scholar, but you don't have to be a scholar to really see what happened to Junia. In the early writings of the church fathers, these were the great church leaders uh, after the, the canon had been spread about, but not settled by any stretch. These are Clement and Origen and such. You find many of them saying there is no doubt that Junia was an apostle and her work was blessed by God. It is only after the canon is officially closed in the 300s. The church becomes organized along Roman government lines. That's when Junia becomes a little bit more of a problem, but she doesn't go away. This male-dominated church still did not dare to, to do away with Junia. It was only much, much, much later, and Eldon App actually looks at every single manuscript we have and does a flowchart and shows how and who changed the phrasing here. Now, if you're getting a little panicked and thinking, if they changed it here, where else did they change it? Well, they changed it in several places. Nothing will affect your salvation, but there are things such as this that might really profoundly affect your family, and that's why I'm bringing it up. Uh, there are versions of the Bible that are designed to help keep women out of ministry, like the CEV or the ASV. These, um, be very careful, they they support the biblical womanhood doctrine of um, evangelicals, especially on the right. But what's going on here, just very briefly, after a while, uh, people decided that Junia had to be a male and therefore, they made arguments about that, but Junia is never a male name ever in centuries around this time. And so whenever the, um, the versions were being put together and changed again, Westcott court and all these other texts, they actually changed the name to Junius said, that's really, you know, it's a textual issue, it really was not Junia, but Julius, there is zero backing for this. And there's another problem. The form that they used for Junius, that's never been a male's name either. Junia is a female name and esteemed among the apostles. uh, That phrase, and I'm gonna admit, I, I have to admit, that phrase is ambivalent, but the early church leaders took it to mean that she was an apostle and highly esteemed in the group of the apostles. It was only much later that it was read the other way, that the apostles really esteemed Junia, who was not an apostle. See how confusing this is? When I was a boy, I was told that any honest people, any honest person could read the Bible and know exactly what it meant, because it wasn't hard. And I listened to an elder's wife, uh, scold a, a young couple who were struggling with a passage that is ambivalent is difficult and does seem to contradict other channel, uh, other passages. And the elder's wife just looked at him and said, God wouldn't give us anything hard to understand. I'm going, have you read the book? Of course it's hard to understand. And that's why even at my advanced age, I am reading constantly. I'm reading as much as I can from the scholars of the era. And if I, but you know, one of the first things I do, those of you that listen on Monday mornings would be able to figure this out. I go to the bibliography to see who their sources, who they checked on. And if it's all people in their genre, this isn't going to help me. I need somebody that wrestles with the evidence that they don't like, as well as the evidence. It seems to back them up. All right moving on down uh greet one another with a holy kiss well there's something we don't do and when i was growing up they got out of this by saying well the word kiss meant touch and so this could be a handshake this could be a pat on the shoulder Uh, no not really it can mean an embrace but most often it meant the kiss on the cheeks which is still very common and not looked on as in as odd outside of i would say the, the west which has been influenced a lot by britain because that british concept of stip- you know keeping your distance that started uh, there not here but in that same passage all the churches of christ send greetings and i was part of a religious tribe for a long time but said that's that god Given name for the church. And if you have any other name for it, then that didn't come from God. Several issues there. Uh, big issues. One, God never said this was the name of his church. Two, there are other names the way, uh, the church of the firstborn, the church of God, the assembly of the saints. There are many other names given. But here's the biggest one Churches of Christ is a phrase with a meaning that has remained consistent throughout time. In fact, the Catholic liturgy will talk about the churches of Christ because the word Catholic and the phrase churches of Christ mean exactly the same thing. And that is all believers universally, all believers. That's why it was called the Catholic Church because it was the church for all believers. That's, that's what they were branding it. And in the early days of that religious tribe, I mentioned a while ago, uh, Alexander Campbell, Barton W. Stone, Raccoon John Smith, and all of those, they wrestled with names. And uh, Alexander Campbell wanted us to be called Disciples of Christ, which is another name given in scripture for the church. But Stone and others wanted to be called Churches of Christ, because that expressly meant this is not a new denomination all believers are our brothers and sisters well that tribe quickly narrowed and changed all of the meanings of that after the american civil war and then they latched on this as proof that this is what god wants us to call our group there is zero evidence give it no credence this is just paul saying all the believers in christ unite, hug each other, you know, hug it out, kiss it out, whatever. And then even leaps into warning about anybody who might divide us and say our group's better than your group or the like. He goes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those that cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. What have they learned? The book of Romans It's very unlikely that they got to read any of 1st or 2nd Corinthians or the book of James or others that we've had a good look at because those hadn't been out very long and they weren't sent to Rome. This was sent to Rome. So this is what they would know. They would also know some Jesus stories because the Jews that went there would be taking Jesus stories with them. He says, watch out for those who teach anything contrary to this. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone's heard about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. A a very Semitic phrase, uh, the Greeks did use this as well, meaning, you know, don't, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail about what, how, and why they do wrong. Your business, your job is to do right. That's what that phrase means. You know, I, uh, I subscribe to certain channels on, on YouTube and there's one that deals with scammers and all of us are getting those calls constantly about warranties and about, uh, warning us that uh, the IRS is coming after us or their social security, or there's an issue with your Amazon account. These people work so hard to get your money and on these scammer um YouTube videos. They show them turning the tables on the scammers and I really appreciate them doing that. That's that's God's work, stopping the thieves. But as I listen to these on and on and on, it just is incredible how much work people put in to taking your money. And if they applied that in a real job or as an entrepreneur they would make so much more money and they would be moral ethical in the way they did it paul's here saying i don't want you to figure out all the wrong i want you to concentrate on doing what is right i think that's brilliant So who are these false teachers? Well, Peter defines them. Paul puts here, you know, flattery, deceiving the minds. A false teacher, the word false back then meant an evil and a um, manipulative individual. So as you know, Paul puts it elsewhere, you know, leading silly women away. And again, women, you're not silly, but there's a subset which are silly. Just like men, not all of them are jerks, but a rather large subset of us are. And most of us take a turn being a jerk. Fair enough. What Paul is just saying, they lead them away. They're about sex. They're about power over women. They're about power and money. That's false. Peter agrees, has exactly the same phraseology. False doesn't mean that you take the Lord's supper in a different way, or that one of you uses the term pastor and another reverend and another mister or doctor or brother. I grew up being told we do not have titles. And the article, you know, the titles are a denominational thing. And at the very bottom it'd be signed Bro, capital B R O period, you know, Smith. And I'm going, well, that's a title then. If you can abbreviate and capitalize it, it's a title. It that's not a false teacher. False teacher is somebody who is in it for the sex and the power and the money. And they and people do it. We all we all know they do. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Paul believed that Jesus was coming back very, very shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings. Uh, He he has Tertius, who is the guy that actually wrote down the letter. Gaius, whose house he was in while he wrote all of this. And then he does the blessing at the end. I always love Paul's blessings. Now, to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles may come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And I could pull that apart for you, but who would want to? It's a great blessing. He's just wrapping it up, saying, all right, Jews, the Gentiles are your brothers and sisters. Gentiles, the Jews are your older brothers and sisters. Get along now, because that was the eternal plan of God, was to bring us all, all of us, into this same lovely family. Now, where do we go next? Well, here, we have quite a bit of choices to make. We are roughly around the year 60 A.D., six zero a.d and several books are now going to be written one of the reasons why we have this burst of books is um, the death of the apostles it's rather like today a world war ii veteran is hard to find we're losing them every day and we're, we're losing our korean war veterans these are people that will take many of their stories with them to the grave and so what do we do? We try to get the story down. I've lost count. The number of people have had talk to me say, my dad would never talk about what happened in or until the last month of his life. And then he chose this one confidant and told the stories. Well, Jesus has been gone now for about 30 years. We do not know Jesus' age when he was crucified. People try to do the math through the gospels, but we're not given a starting point. We're told when he was about 30, he started his ministry. So it's been about three decades since Jesus ascended to heaven. Many of the first generation are passing now because 45, 50, that was considered old. People did live into their 70s and 80s, some into their 90s, even during this time in history. But most people did not. Uh, sanitation nutrition exposure to the elements uh, small cuts that can turn into tetanus or um, they can make your entire body you know g- gangrenous that was that was life back then so people are dying and therefore the stories need to be written but not only do the stories need to be written but people need to understand how to apply the stories So around 60 AD is when Mark, we think, we think scholars put in a lifetime of effort on this. And I deeply appreciate every one of them, even those that disagree with each other. Uh, I really appreciate them. So all of these are approximations. Around 60 AD, uh, Mark is written, possibly using other sources. Uh, And then we have Luke written which is uh, very much uses some of the same sources as Mark, but also did some face-to-face in-person history because he will write down things such as, this is what Mary thought when she heard this. And this is the prayer that Mary said. So he did a lot of boots on the ground, getting around to people and doing some collecting of the stories before that generation dies. In fact, that's exactly what he says he's doing as you open the book of Luke. We also have other books written um philemon happens around this time philippians happens around this time colossians probably around this time as paul is in this letter writing burst but one of the letters he wrote is where we're going to go first not because i have any evidence that out of all of these this is the one started or finished first it's merely that when you have a clump you got to pick one so we're going to go to ephesians Ephesians is an amazing book. I mean, you know, you might be saying, well, you're a minister. You think they're all amazing, you know, um, in their own way. Yes. But I would recommend it. I, or rather I would venture to say that Ephesians is perhaps more practical and helpful to us on a normal basis than the book of Jeremiah. However, the book of Jeremiah is an interesting book. So, They're all interesting. They're all fascinating. But some of them are more appropriate for different stages in our lives and in our development. Ephesians, as usual, he does his introduction, Paul, an apostle of God by the Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Uh, To the holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the way they open letters. Um, we've devolved <laughs> now we text you know where you don't even spell out you i've, I've had people ask me bible questions via text and i'm oh, so i you know i pack it into as few bubbles as i can and send it and an hour later uh, get a ty thank you but there seems to be a disparity of effort uh, you know anyway ephesians uh he's going to do a burst that is really, really important to pay attention to. When I say a burst, he often will start a letter with the overview, big, big picture blessings in Christ. He's doing that here, but there are a couple of tripwires. If you don't watch, you're going to set off a grenade. So you ready? Praise be to the God and father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Please, read ephesians 1 3 to yourself a few times a day if you are struggling right now and i think most of us are in one way or another Uh, and you've helped me with my struggles thank you very much but look at the look at the tense of the verbs praise be to the now that's a continuing action verb Uh, so don't stop to the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing you are already equipped for survival to thrive in a no matter what your what horrible environment you might be in there's there are ways to thrive within that system Uh, there are uh, if i start talking about this i won't quit People in bad situations find a way to bless other people because they know they, in turn, are blessed. Uh, In recent, well, when you see this, it'll be recent weeks, a month, um, maybe a little bit more, tornadoes marched through Mayfield, Kentucky, and just wiped out so many people's lives, savings, homes. It was just awful. And a video went viral Now I don't know if this guy was in Mayfield or if he was in one of the surrounding areas that also got just torn to pieces. He was in one of the areas hurt by the, the, um, tornadoes and he's sitting in his house. It doesn't have a roof or a couple of the walls playing a piano, singing hymns. And that video went viral and encouraged so many people because here's a man who lost almost everything who is praising God. I don't say this to shame you because I'm worse than many of you that are right now feeling ashamed. I mean, my microwave breaks. It's it's, it'd be pretty quick for me to go. There is no God. It is a struggle. And then I remember I've already got all the blessings. I've already got everything that we really need. And in fact, it's trumping any earthly blessing. And in fact, he's given us earthly blessings too. So you see, um, it's, it's an important verse. Now, we hit one of the tripwires. And the other tripwire, by the way, is going to be over around verse 11. So let me set this up. There is a view called Calvinism that comes from John Calvin. He was one of the great early first leaders in Protestantism. Uh, he, he ran the city of Geneva in Switzerland. It became a Protestant stronghold that even the daily laws and uh, death penalties, everything was set around his interpretation of scripture. Calvinism has several points. Now, you may not hear it called Calvinism. You might hear it be called uh, Reformed Theology. Part of that is predestination and irresistible grace. They have an acronym that helps you learn all of the, the five different points of it. Uh, but, and, and I must stress here, by the way, as in all places, there's a variety, there, there's a range predestination in, in, its Calvinist form in its strictest form is that before you were born, God already knows if you're going to heaven or hell that's all right. And, or that he actually chose that he decided. So you have no choice in the matter. If you're a believer, it's because the Holy spirit visited you with irresistible grace and you could not resist it. So that's why you're a Christian. If he didn't offer that grace to you, he didn't. So Jesus died to save the elect, but there are going to be a large number, perhaps the vast majority of people, that he is not saving. Now that's the strict form. There are looser forms, but they all come down to this, to the point where if you become a strong Christian, And down the road, you get some questions, a tragedy hits your life, a child dies. I hate to bring up horrible examples because I know some of you will have just experienced those things and you drop away from the faith. What's going to happen? Calvinists will say, well, they never really had the faith or they wouldn't have been able to drop it. They get their doctrine from several places. Well, let's take a look at some of these words, okay? Starting at verse four, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We're, he is watching us. We're trying to be holy and blameless. But as we are his children, he sees us better than we are because he chooses to. In love, he predestined us to adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Adopted us. Now you go over here to verse 11. In him also we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. You might want to circle will. Those two passages taken with with a variety of others could lead you into Reformed theology slash Calvinism. I I would ask you to be very careful though, because there are other words in these verses. He chose us before the creation of the world with his pleasure and will. Verse 11, for the purpose of his will. Well, then what do we do with the passage? that says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance we're going to have to wipe that verse out because God's will here, they're saying is only to save a small group, the elect, where God, when he's talking is always talking about the world. He's always talking about the greater. And also, did you notice when he says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't say that all will respond to the irresistible grace and repent because it's not like they had a choice. No, he says, I, that they come to that. Jesus said, Whosoever will may come. He didn't say, some of you are going to be chosen. So, how do you read this then? God made up his mind before we were created to save us and to love us and to view us as holy and blameless. That's when the the weights fall off the shoulders, and you go. Whoa. Why turn this into a, <clears throat> he chose some of us, might not be you. That's, that's unnecessary. That did not have to happen. Doing all this, verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us, not selectively, freely, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, and according to the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. Well, I love the word lavished. Uh, I'm reading out of the New International Version of 2011. That there, I think that's the latest revision. And I generally really like the book. I have some real issues with some of the phrasings, but um, and, and I'm not a Greek expert. I have issues because I read books by Greek experts, right? Lay that out there. All right. Uh, This is, I love the word lavished. I think they picked the right one. I think they really did. They nailed it. Some of you went through a holiday season with a lot of family where they lavished upon you gifts or food or both. I I don't really have the experience of growing up in a house where the mom was always going, you need to eat more, you need to eat more. And that may be a myth that that's what Jewish homes and Italian homes are like. And I'm sure there are variations anyway. But I have been in homes where I've said, you know, just a little bit. And and they're going to lavish it on me. And they're already getting the Tupperware out to put extra in for me to take home. And then dessert comes and they lavish it upon me. That's, that's actually entirely appropriate if ever I'm around you, lavishing dessert. So they, they do that. And I know what it means to have lavish. <laughs> I have uh, I have grandchildren and all of them love me. All of them hug me. We, we get along fantastic, but there's one who lavishes. Just whoosh, there's the hug. I'm sitting on your lap. We're talking. we you're with me. Lavish is good. So look at all, all of these words and it doesn't make any sense to read it as if God is lavishing his grace upon all of us that he chose before the the, the creation of the world but that only means you and this little group over here rest of them what why would you do that with these verses He goes to put this mystery of his will in verse 9. With his good pleasure, God's not willing that he should perish, his good pleasure in Christ, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. I'm going to step aside from the predestination and get more of you upset. Um, I don't believe that there's a date that God has picked that he is coming back, sending back Jesus. I don't. Because I don't have to. When Jesus was on earth, before he ascended into heaven, he even told his apostles, I don't even know. Only God knows when that day will be. And many people have spent their entire theological church careers rummaging through Daniel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and then the book of Revelation and putting them all together and declaring we are in the last days. In fact, any survey of history you would like to undertake, you will find that every single generation found some date or some set of signs saying, that's it. This is the last days. We're living through, it's seems, the song that never ends about COVID and variations and people have divided over it and the like, and I'm not taking stands on that because that's not my job. I talk about Jesus stuff. However, here we are in a difficult time, and we wonder, well, when's it going to be over? Well, there's not a date. There's a set of circumstances, whether it is just learning to live with it or taking four boosters a year. There, we don't know the time. That's what they're all saying. And some people then say, well, it's time to stop. And, and I understand all the emotions behind this. Uh, I really do. There's not a date. They made a horrible decision to to make a date with the two weeks to flatten the curve thing. And that's been used ever since to beat them up. So let me use a different one. I'm not going to talk about my daughter. I'm just going to say this is my daughter in the story because my daughter actually never really worried about dating Uh, never put much energy into the getting to date stage. Uh, and she ended up marrying, uh, one of the first people she ever dated. And he's a fantastic fella, just miles better than me in every way. And I don't say that, um, with false mod- f- uh, modesty or humility. He really is. He's a great. Guy. Kara, however, we're gonna make a pretend Kara. Okay. What if she came up to me and she was 14 and she goes, dad, uh, John and Joe and Sarah, we're all going to go to the movies. And I noticed it's an equal number of men and women. And I say, is this a date? She said, well, you know, I'll say, you're not ready for a date. and you know, They can go out as a clump, but you have to stay as a clump. And I was, I want, I want grapes, not dates. How's that? I need the clump. Well, if she'd been at 15, I, I want to, you know, Fred over here wants to take me to the movies and And I'm going, I don't think you're ready. And often I would say most of the time, a child will say, well, when, and they're looking for a date certain, but there's the problem. If you give them a date certain, you may very well regret it because they may get to that date and still not have the mental, emotional, and spiritual equipment to move forward. So instead, Here he says when the times reach their fulfillment when god sees it's the right time for him and for us that's when christ will come but it is not set and people that try to set dates have always failed in every circumstance except for those who are setting them in the future today and they will fail because dates that's it's not dates it is God's decision. He's ready and we're ready. The times of the fulfillment. In him, we already read this, we're also chosen, God check. We're going we're gonna to end this very quickly. Thank you for hanging in 40 minutes. Uh, I heard about uh, for the having predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, that who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I don't even want to take it apart. Just read it. It is, it's just amazing. Now, because of time constraints, we're going to stop here next week. We're going to pick up with Ephesians one verse 15, and we'll move as quickly as I can. And with as few rabbit trails as I can. But if you grew up in a community that said you had to have a special experience, irresistible grace, drawing you to God, you did. That special experience was the coming of Christ, his death on a cross and his resurrection. You don't have to have a feeling. You don't have to have a vision. You just have to hear the story, accept it, and follow Jesus. All right, we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in. means the world. Subscribe if you have.